This thing, it's gonna follow you. Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you back in the car. It could look like someone you know, or it could be a stranger in a crowd. Whatever helps it get close to you. It can look like anyone. But there's only one of it. Welcome to Now Playing's review of It Follows. This isn't real, I swear to you, this is just some fucked up game. Posted by Arnie. Look, I'm not safe either, okay? Stuart. No, I don't want to do this, I just want to get out! And Jacob. I'm sorry, you guys need to get the fuck out. This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Today we're discussing It Follows, starring Mika Monroe, Keir Gilchrist, Daniel Zavato, Jake Weary, directed by David Robert Mitchell. This is the now playing co-host who's slow but not dumb, Arnie. Stewart in LA. And this is the host that will fuck just about anyone to get rid of something, Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good to know, Jacob. Uh, That'll definitely help if it's following you then. (laughs) (laughs) but maybe i'll be next Woo! (laughs) but what is it (laughs) yes i have a feeling i'm gonna be quoting faith no more this entire podcast it's it what is it it's it yeah (laughs) and what is it what are we where did this movie come from why are we talking about this well we're talking about it because a lot of people have been asking us Hey, have you guys seen It Follows? And I haven't seen a lot of movies in theaters this year. I gotta say, we've been a little busy writing a book about hundreds of movies. Oh, you pussy. You only have to watch 140 movies for now playing this year. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not an exaggeration. It's actually like 160. Yeah. But I guess what I mean is I don't get to movies that I don't have to do for now playing in a movie theater this year. Not that much. But the hype on this one was so huge. I'm a horror fan. I always have been. I like the intelligent Cronenbergian horror. And the word on this one, you know, the name droppings of Carpenter and... Kubrick and Cronenberg, all that stuff. I was hearing too much stuff. I mean, it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. I'm like, there's got to be something to this. So I went to the movie theaters to spot check this and see where they were with the hype. And yeah, I have not been able to stop thinking about this movie since I saw it back in April. I'd heard of this movie when it came out back then. I'd read some articles online, primarily about how it flopped and how it was a death knell for theaters because it had a very short theater to video on demand window. I never thought much about seeing it. Our listeners asked about it. I'm like, well, I guess if it follows back, you know, that's what we do. We do franchises. But we had a week. It was still around Halloween. And... I'm open to new films, and yeah, I also, this year, haven't seen a lot for now playing, so it's good to see something brand new for it. Well, I don't know if it flopped. It actually did very well in limited release. It was packed when I saw it in L.A. movie theaters, but I do think that it had trouble reaching out to mainstream audiences. Uh, Yeah, the article I read specifically said that when it was a limited release, the per-screen average was so high, they had, like, Blair Witch expectations. Ah, now it's not Blair Witch, (laughs) but uh, I guess that's why it follows Blair Witch. Yeah, and I'm, I'm like... 
you, Arnie, I read a lot about this online, just on pop culture sites, saying this was like the next big thing. And so I was interested. I always feel like because of now playing, I got to step up my horror game because that's just not really my genre. So I'm always interested in, in something that could do something new with that horror genre, something that could intrigue me. And so the few things that I did read about this, it, it sounded like, oh, this is a film I'll check out someday when I get around to it after I watch the 160 films for now playing. Truthfully, from the title, I thought this was going to be a horror movie about Twitter. I mean, there's so many of those tech.com horror films. And what do you do on Twitter? You follow Now Playing Pod. Did they do a Unfriend, like a, a Facebook horror movie? Yes, Unfriended. So I had no idea what I was going to watch. I'd read the articles, you know, acclaiming it and talking about its box office. I hadn't even read a plot summary when I sat down to put this in. I see Teenage Girls. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a social media horror. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I knew the basic plot. I knew it had something to do with sex or maybe STDs as ghosts or something like that. Yeah, I didn't know a whole lot about the movie myself going in. It was purely hype. And I kind of like to do that with horror movies. I kind of like to just roll the dice and see how it goes and not read too much about it. I just need to know what the pitch of the of the hype is and, and to set my expectations for that. But I can't say that I was completely blown away. It wasn't like I left the film going masterpiece, but it has been a film that I continued to think about. And I was so curious about what it could mean and, and why someone would make a movie like this. I did go back to see David Robert Mitchell's first film, Myth of the American Sleepover, and is just as pretentious and as obnoxious as that title is. Is it a documentary <laughs> or is it an actual movie? No, Myth of the American Sleepover. It is essentially this movie if there is no killer STD in it. I mean, it is about a bunch of very depressed teenagers who have so much to live for, and yet they can't help moping. And, uh, you know, it's a, a night where guys are sleeping over at one house and girls are sleeping at another, and they eventually get together and, and be miserable as one. Fantastic. Sounds like a fun time. <laughs> it isn't. Do you give it a red arrow? Yeah, I definitely would give that movie a red arrow, but it's interesting in contrast to It Follows because, tonally speaking, uh, you can see that it obviously meant something to him. That environment and that feeling, it came from a personal place, and I do think that he transposed that to the horror genre in a unique way. I think in some ways, this movie is the horror sequel to that dreary, mumblecore kind of movie that's so popular with the kids today. Well... You told us about that movie, Stuart. Why don't you give us the plot summary of It Follows so we can get into it? AIDS, herpes, chlamydia. No SD is more lethal or incurable than the one that afflicts the sexually active characters in recent horror movie It Follows. The story centers on Jay Height, a young woman living with her mom and sister in the Detroit suburbs. Jay is neither a virgin or promiscuous. She's just ready to fuck this nice guy she's dated a few times, never expecting the casual encounter in the backseat of his car to be a life-changing event. But Jay will be looking over her shoulder from this point forward, as a supernatural stalker has begun to follow her every move. Turns out this so-called nice guy knew he was passing on a death sentence to Jay when they hooked up. But at least he was kind enough to take a moment and chloroform her, <laughs> tie her up in an abandoned building, and explain the rules she must now follow in order to survive. 
See, once you've contracted this bizarre sexually transmitted disease, you have become a target for a mute humanoid creature I will from this point forward just call it. It moves very slowly, but it never stops. It will walk for hundreds of miles to get you. You cannot kill it, but you can buy yourself some time before it kills you by screwing someone else. It's sort of like a slutty version of the game Hot Potato. <laughs> uh, it- And it only cares about the most recently infected. But should he ever catch up and and kill that target, it goes back to chase the last sexual partner again, presumably working its way all the way back to the very first person who ever contracted it. And that's really the reason why Jeff is telling Jay all this information. He needs her to stay alive because he's next on its shit list. And so, right on cue, a naked, silent woman saunters in the room and creeps pretty close to Jay before Jeff pulls her away and dumps her off onto the street, explaining that it is a shapeshifter and won't always look that way, and nobody but the infected see it. The cops are called, but don't pursue the matter because the sex between Jay and Jeff was consensual, and because adults really don't take an interest in the lives of teenagers in this universe. And so Jay's close friends rally around her. There's younger sister Kelly, nerdy friend Yara, whose nose is always stuck in an e-reader, Dweeb Paul, who has pined for Jay since childhood, and cool guy Greg, who lives across the street and who slept with Jay in high school. Now, not everyone believes her story, but they're all willing to do their part to help the frightened woman get a peace of mind. Standing guard while she sleeps or driving her to a lakeside cottage to put distance between her and the supposed phantom pursuer. But just as Jeff said, it keeps coming to kill Jay and nobody can see it but her. Although she initially doesn't want the responsibility for infecting anyone else, this targeted woman eventually consents to Greg's kind offer to have sex, passing it off onto him and pissing off jealous Paul. Greg doesn't really believe anything is going to happen, which is why it so easily infiltrates his room and fucks him to death, looking like his mother. Paul thinks he should be next in line to take the burden of it off Jay's shoulder, but I think a group of guys on a boat get the job first. We'll talk about that scene. But eventually the group hatches a bug nuts plan to kill the monster by breaking into a public gymnasium and lining the perimeter of a swimming pool with electronic devices. Jay lures it into the water so they can fry it, but the Phantom is too smart for that and first unplugs all the electrical devices and throws them at her. And thank God that plan wasn't going to work because she would be dead. Jay thinks Paul successfully shoots and stops the invisible creature when the nerd empties his gun into the pool and it fills with blood. But just to be safe, Jay goes home with Paul and they screw. And so this mismatched couple goes walking hand-in-hand through their neighborhood, wondering if it still follows them as credits roll. One thing I want to try to figure out right at the beginning, right at the top here, what decade is this taking place in? Like, you mentioned an e-reader in your plot. It's a very weird e-reader. I've never seen one that's it looks like a compact to put makeup on with. Yeah, it's like seashells. I immediately looked it up because I'm like, I don't know that model of phone, and I don't want to be out of touch with the kids. (laughs) So... I looked it up, and yeah, it was made specifically for this film. You cannot go to Amazon and order your seashell Kindle or anything like that. They didn't want to use any real tech because they felt it would date the movie too quickly. 
Well, that, that's what I was wondering, because the TVs are old, the cars, some look 70s, some look 80s, some look 90s. This is taking place in Michigan, I believe. Yeah, just yeah. outside of Detroit. Yeah, and it's run down Michigan. Like, they talk about 8 Mile. This is not, like, the height of Detroit, you know, in the 70s and 80s with the cars and everything. This is – so I, I, I was trying to figure out what time does this take place in. Or maybe it doesn't matter. Or maybe they don't want to date it. They want it to feel kind of timeless, so they're, you can't get a vibe on it. Yeah, and they're always watching old movies, too. I'm fascinated that they have young people watching black and white movies, and, you know, they go see Charade in the movie theater. I'm like, wow, if only we could get our audience to watch old movies. I'd be so much happier, but no. <laughs> hey, it, this it, is it, the stuff that's royalty-free, and they don't have to pay for on a small budget. No, no, no. Come on, this is a directorial touch. This director is in full command of what he's doing here. Whether you like this movie or not, and I understand there's a wide variance of opinions about it, he is wanting to create a dreamlike environment in which, exactly as you said, Jacob, we are lost in time. We are lost in nostalgia. This movie's big theme, I think, is being haunted by your youth. A lot of language, a lot of what happens here involves people looking back on a happy your time in their life and wishing they could recapture it. And I think that every character here, yeah, even when they have the hip doesn't even exist e-reader compact seashell thing, she's reading Dostoevsky, you know, yes. a, a novel hundreds <laughs> of years old. It's it's out of sync. And that's what's so neat about the movie. Yeah, I think there's a lot going on. And one of the things, I think one of the easiest levels to see this as, you know, we've reviewed Cabin in the Woods where it's like, oh, here's our justification for why like kids always die when they go to a cabin in the woods because there's this whole sinister plot. I do feel like on some level, there is this vibe of like, let's just explain why the sluts, whoever has sex always dies first in a slasher. Like that, that's why I was wondering, you know, this, this score to this, I, I really like the score here is very John Carpenter. Yes. Yes. And so I, I felt like on, on one level, that's what this film was about. Like, let's explain why the people that had sex always die first in a horror film. It's something I had to think a long time about. Is this movie sex positive or is it playing into all of the old stereotypes? Is it bringing us back after Scream to the early 80s mentality that, yeah, if you have sex, you're going to be stalked and killed? I think that this is a pretty positive portrayal. I mean... I don't feel like Jay is the kind of girl we normally see in any movie, but particularly in a horror movie where sex is just kind of normal. You yeah, know, she's she, not a virgin when she loses. No, when she no, has sex she, in the film, she's done it before. It's not even a big deal to her. And I think that is key. I think the fact that it isn't a big deal is the fact that it starts following. And I'll explain what I mean later, but the, she's not the first one we see. We see No, it. the first one feels like a very typical again, slasher victim. She's got high heels on, looks like she's got her clubbing clothes on. I don't know why she's wearing those. It seems like very early in the morning as she's running out of that house. She, she just got in? <laughs> Perhaps. Maybe she just got it last night. Yeah, I mean I, I think she's been on the run a while and you know, yeah, it's just a great hook, quite honestly, is you're asking a lot of questions by watching this pretty girl in a nighty and high heels running around from something invisible that while people are coming home, bringing in groceries and all, she's acting crazy and stealing the family car and driving off to the beach. I mean, and just talk about the camera work here. It, isn't this a tracking shot? I don't think it breaks. It like goes in this whole circle yep. as she's running around the neighborhood. I Across mean, the board, I love the camera work in this. They keep 
putting the camera on weird things. They'll put it on a chair so that as they roll the person in the chair around, it stays centered on them. And they do a lot of 360 degree yeah. shots. There's one shot that really is surreal where it's like mounted in the back windshield of a car. So when the car crashes, nothing in the frame is moving except what's in the windshield. I mean, I love the camera work in this. Yeah, I feel like if if people don't like this, it, it may be that you you mentioned Kubrick, Stuart. It's yes. this camera is going to linger. It's going to take its time to move around. But I do feel like that builds the suspense as we get into the film and we know that there's ghostly beings around. Like I am waiting for something to show up in that camera view as it slowly pans. There are clear homages and references to classic slasher films like Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street. There are moments that feel straight from those movies, but they never look like those movies. They look like The Shining. They This movie does look like Kubrick shot it. And I think that's intentional. I mean, it just compositionally speaking, the way that Kubrick always puts something in the center of the frame and has that wide-angle lens. I mean, th- this guy knows what he wants to achieve with the camera, and he gets it. It's, it is a very evocative-looking movie. And as far as the hook goes, again, I knew nothing about this coming in. This beginning immediately grabbed my attention because... You see her running around from nothing. You don't know what she's running from. She's sitting on the beach apologizing to her dad that she's such a shit. And then it just like jump cuts and she's mutilated. She like has compound fractures in her legs. I mean, something just beat the shit out of her. You know, her name's Annie. And I thought, oh, here's our main character. Maybe we're going to flashback after she does this call to her parents like, mom, dad, I'm sorry. I love you. But yeah, when it does that jump cut, I'm like. And then it goes to the next character. I'm like, ooh, this this is brutal. Yeah, it's it's just a good way of start to ask questions. This is a complicated idea, and and they want they want to get you hooked before they unload all of the rules and exposition. And so this this is a grabber. I think it works. It's violent. It's strange, and you're wondering how you follow this up. We'll never know any story, but I presume she was the girl that Jeff's left with prior to sleeping with Jay. That's the assumption I made, too. Like, once we get into Jeff and his character, Mm -hmm. yeah, this was his last fling. Yeah, this is the one he'd passed it to, and when she dies, it comes back after him, and he has to pass it on again. But beyond anything, with that synth score that's kind of full of crescendos and cacophony and her mutilated body, I was really happy. I was watching this around Halloween. I'm like, shit, this is a film that has some suspense and some scares and some gore yeah that's what i put this on as i'm like okay it's halloween i want to be scared let's let's watch a horror movie and the first three minutes definitely sell me on that vibe then it changes it changes i i agree i think that this movie is an incredibly intense experience but it's not scary in any way that i think a horror movie typically is which is a compliment that i'm giving it i think that it has found a unique way to make the audience anxious without being afraid yeah there are there are times where i'm afraid during like there's there, we'll get to the scenes where i'm like oh crap oh crap oh crap yeah. like but yeah most of it is about suspense it's about building up to something wondering if something's going to jump out at you wondering you know if that person you're seeing in the background are they a ghost or are they real Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of that that goes on, and it really makes you pay attention to more of the frame of the film than I'm used to. Usually, it's set up in such a way that you're looking at a character who's in sharp focus and watching them speak or watching them run. Here, 
the depth of field is such, I'm always looking in the background, and there's almost always somebody walking. Yeah, after this kill, we go to Jay on a date with Hugh slash Jeff. We'll get into why he has two names. But they're at a movie theater. They're playing this game. The trade game where, you know, you you have to pick someone in a crowd to be and the other person has to guess. This is where we get our first, well, besides that kill, our second moment of what's going on as Hugh asks Jay, oh, are you that girl in the yellow dress? There is no girl in the yellow dress that we can see. So she may eventually beat that girl in the yellow dress. But I found it interesting that who he picked, he points at like a family. She isn't able to guess it. And I thought maybe he's going to be our good guy. He's going to be our noble horror film person. He wants to be the young father raising a f- child and with a loving wife. Now, he wants to be the kid. He wants to be having someone take care of him and ha- not have to worry about anything and be able to shit his pants anytime he wants. Yeah, that's telling. He, he wants to go back prepubescent he, he, before he was sexual. Yeah, it's the first time the filmmaker is really telling you thematically what he's going for here. And it almost overspeaks it. I almost feel like, okay, you don't have to say it so much because it's bleeding out all over the place. All over the place, we get the idea that adults are attached, the kids are kind of raising themselves, and they're bored, and and they, they don't know what to do with their time. And Jay's caught in the middle, you know? Like, the first time we see her, she's swimming in the backyard pool. She's too big for it. And her friends... They're all younger. They're still all in high school. She's moved on to college. There's a couple neighbor boys that seem really young, but they're like taking pictures of her and she doesn't seem to mind. Yeah, she, well, no, I think she minds, but I mean, she she doesn't, she's not going to upset her, but I think she is becoming aware that people are viewing her as a a sexual object. And I think she is aware that uh, she is different than the home world that she has probably just very recently left behind. She still lives at home, but I feel like the move to college, she must have only like just enrolled, right? I get the sense she's a freshman at a community college. Yeah, nothing is very clear about their lives outside of the story. Where the parents are, what they do. Yeah, we're told the mom gets up at like five in the morning, and that's why we never see her in this film. She's there, but she's she was like drinking wine yeah. on her phone. And again, though, I'm thinking of slashers. It's about the teens. You, you'd never have the parents. You don't want them in a slasher. I, I feel like they're going for a more sophisticated 80s slasher here. Yeah, they're not going necessarily for 80s, but uh, yes, they are going for a more sophisticated slasher. I, I'll agree with that part. But yes, it is telling that you have two people that are missing their youth. They're out on a date, and she'll later have dialogue in which she said, when I was a kid, I used to dream about this moment, and now that she's in this moment, she can only dream about who she used to be. And she's playing with, like, a little flower that's poking out of the cement. I mean, it's very symbolic. This director is really in great command of the story he's telling here. I mean, I feel like in visuals and dialogue with the camera, we are always getting this haunting of the past, that nostalgia is pervasive and tragic. Now, I've only seen this film once. I didn't get that message. If it's that pervasive, then I think it's overly heavy-handed because I don't think we need that. But I'm watching this. I mean, the first few minutes sold it as a probably supernatural slasher film, and they just had sex in a car. I am thinking those 80s rules that I wrote so many college papers about. (laughs) I'm like, well, they just had sex. We don't see him. 
We just hear noises. He's doing something in the trunk. It's very yeah. foreboding. I thought she was going to find out she's talking to a corpse. I thought that would be the jump. I had no idea he was going to gag her and chloroform her. Yeah, where would he get that? I mean, this is the movie every now and then. I really like this movie. I'll go ahead and lay it on the table, particularly since I've had time to process it, think of it, see it again. I, I really am a strong endorser of this movie, but he doesn't totally make sense as a character. The fact that he would go into a movie theater on a date with her to begin with and then not expect it to come for him. I mean, that wasn't very smart on his part. I do love the moment, though, when they're at that diner and that that camera just changes focus for a couple of seconds and you see this being across the street like behind a tree watching them and it could be it it's probably it it also could just be somebody walking there were other people out there too yeah i mean it's it's awfully dramatic that he has to chloroform her and tie her up <laughs> to make his point but it shocks the audience and never let her put her clothes back on i mean it almost feels like a rape scene yeah he's afterward i mean he's going to explain the rules here Let, let's get into that he takes her what they're in an abandoned building she's tied up again i i maybe he's the killer i don't quite know what's going on but he's looking for someone and he sees this body and here's where we get the rules kind of they're very perfunctory but it is basically like Stuart said it's coming for you it can walk slowly you can outrun it and if it gets you it's coming for me again so you gotta live now this leads me to a lot of questions about it yeah, did they watch The Ring, like a porno version of The Ring, and go, yeah, <laughs> let's do that. But instead of watching a video, you gotta fuck. I was thinking of it like a video game. Like, wherever the last person is, it has like a radar sense. It's got like the little map in the corner of the screen, and it sees a red dot of where you are. But it can only walk. It can't run. So these people are in Detroit. If she, like, weekended in Los Angeles... It's going to walk towards Los Angeles, and then if she hopped a plane to Germany, I think it's pretty much trapped on the North America. I mean, it's a ghost. Maybe it could hit the Arctic. It could walk around a boat. It will get there eventually. That That's the point, that it, it will take its time. It's slow, but it's not dumb. you got to always have exits ready to go. It's eventually going to get to you. Eventually, but you could buy yourself years by intercontinental flights. Yeah, if you're just globetrotting the entire time, going from place to place, it will take a long time. Yeah, you could. You could. But, I mean, how uprooting would that be? I mean, the point is, what you're getting at is, this is manageable. And that's not usually the case for a good horror movie that you would have a killer that's manageable. You're like, I can live with you chasing me, <laughs> but you can I know, but I mean, you could. And I, I was coming up with a lot of things once I heard these rules. Like, okay, there it is. And you need to screw to get it off you. But really, you need to screw somebody who's going to quickly screw somebody else and screw somebody yeah, else. Yeah, that, that, I really wondered. I'm like, oh, she's going to be like this gangbang slut by yes. the end of this. Like, <laughs> but she wouldn't need to be a slut. She just needs to do it once. But she needs to pick the right one. No, you want to do it with a bunch of people so it goes after all of them. No, no, no. I don't think it works that way. It's only one... But yeah. my feeling is what she needs is an orgy. So she fucks somebody who fucks somebody else who fucks somebody else who fucks somebody else all within like 10 minutes. It doesn't go. It's like dominoes. You don't do it at the same time, but one right after the other. Yes. 
Okay, but you're thinking it from the mentality of an unethical person that just wants to get away from a problem. Yes, I'm thinking of it from self, from a survival point of view, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I think that she, what this movie asked her to confront is, yeah, you can live with this for the rest of your life. You can, you know, buy yourself time, travel, hop on planes, do all of this stuff. The point is you'll never be at ease again. And I think that what this movie really is about is the end of childhood, the end of innocence, the end of the idea that, you know, when you're growing up, you think about all these things that you're going to become and what could be. And it's that cynical moment when you suddenly realize there's nothing else to life. This is it. And like you point out, there are many conversations. The one that stuck out to me is when she's talking about Paul, a, a childhood friend, and they found pornos and they didn't think anything about it, like that it was sexual or anything. And now it, it's very different. There, there's definitely this sense of coming of age and you cross a point where you can't go back again. One of the big motifs of the movie is water. This pool that she was in, the pool that they're going to end up in the climax was the place that she first had her first kiss. They and go to the beach a couple of times. The lake house. Yes, exactly. I mean, it is, when we think about young, going to the beach, doing all that stuff, particularly if you lived in Michigan, this would be nostalgic. You would have all of these memories tied to your youth and play and fun. And I think that it's about that moment where you look back on your childhood and, I mean, maybe this guy needs some, you know, antidepressants or something, but I think he's really prematurely morose at the end of his childhood and the feeling like nothing else is... When you say this guy, are you talking about the director? Are you talking about yeah. it? Are you talking about The director, Hugh? yeah. The writer-director of this piece is sending a very clear message that after you've had sex for a while and the thrill wears off, life has got no real meaning. It's just about staying ahead of death. Well, thank God he fucking included a ghost, because I don't want to see that movie. <laughs> What are you talking about? Where you lose interest in sex and... Yeah, I'm saying that you've made this sound like a really dull, introspective potato film. Like the myth of the American sleepover. Yeah, and I'm like, well, thank God it's got a ghost, because that makes this movie interesting. Okay, I mean, to me, that's what makes this movie interesting, because I've never seen a horror movie tackle this subject. Well, yeah, it's it's the combining of the two. That's, that's what I like, you know, in any kind of genre film, is when it could tell a story greater than itself. It can transcend the genre. So here we have a horror film, but it's getting into much deeper themes. Right. Getting back to this film, okay, I get Hugh, he wants to explain the rules to let Jay know, okay, you got to sleep with someone and keep passing this on. Why does he throw her out of the car in her underwear onto the lawn like she is a rape victim? <laughs> that seems like, again, you could have taken the duct tape off her wrists. You could have let her put her clothes on. This is a clear way to get the cops coming, which they do. I was actually impressed that they add that like, yes, if you are thrown out after having been abducted, police will come. Yeah, her her sister and, and friends are, always seem to be sitting out on the porch, and they see her get tossed out, and I assume they call the cops. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea is to create the image that this has been a sexual assault. Although once you process it, you realize a lot of it was consensual, and our feelings about, well, you keep calling him Hugh, but his real name is Jeff— are complicated, that although we are to hate him, we're, we're being told in the early scenes, hate this guy, he's the same thing as a rapist, and as we learn about the rules of it and what's happening, we have at least some empathy as to why 
he did what he did. And in fact, it was kind of an act of kindness to a degree that he explained to her what was happening instead of just letting her get killed. Well, again, because that's self-preservation, because once she's killed, it's going to go after him again. Yeah, he he is a self-centered asshole. He creates a false life with a false name. He rents a place that he says is his house, but doesn't let her in. It's a flop house that he abandons immediately after. All that's in there is a mattress, some Playboys, and some used tissue. And with the Playboys right there, you know what those tissues were used for. <laughs> hey, he, he rigged those windows with chimes in case anything came through him. But he is... Basically, a survivalist scumbag. For the, everything that you just gave me shit for saying about the orgy is what he <laughs> was looking to do. Everything you well, said. Well, then about- why are you being so hard on him? I guess that's interesting that you can say in jest that this is what you would do, but then in practice and watching him, you're saying he's repugnant. Well, I'm not saying that I'd be proud of myself for going to that orgy. I'm just saying I do it. <laughs> Again, I don't think you need to chloroform people and toss them out in their underwear onto the lawn. That's true. That's a step further. They do it to shock the audience yes. and get us invested in the moment. It's not what the character would do. I, I got to ask, though, because, again, we talked about the camera work and it does linger. At this point, when the, the cops are arriving, Jay looks down and she's got an X tattooed on her knuckle. I, I don't know what that means. I noticed she has a few more tattoos later. At first, I thought that, like, actually appeared mysteriously onto her hand. It, it just felt weird how the camera lingered on that. And I, I don't know why. I watched the movie again. I have no idea, but I, I feel <laughs> okay. like it's, no, I feel like it's full of details. I didn't, I've seen it twice. It doesn't mean I know everything that's going on in this movie. I feel like it is a movie that asked to be studied. I noticed that tattoo. It never played into anything. She seemed too young to be getting hand tats, but then again... I'd have to watch it again. Was it on the ring finger? Was it like an old purity ring type symbol or something? I mean, there are... It definitely might have some significance. It. I thought it was an eternity symbol, honestly, so I don't know. It was like a Times New Roman font X. I mean, I, I, I agree with you, Stuart. This is a film... If you want to get it, and I think it will reward repeat viewings, it's definitely one of those films where you could watch it over and over again to get more out of it. I liked it a lot better the second time I saw it. I'll just leave it at that. And the, and the X was on the middle finger, so... Oh, okay, it was the middle finger. All right. But I think we get, after this point, what's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Her friends don't understand what happened, but they saw her being dropped off, and they want to help, so they're going to you know, have a vigil and stay up all night and protect her? Or is it creepy? Is it terrible that Paul wants to watch her while she sleeps? Well, keep in mind, I mean, between this, she sees it again. It comes to her school and we find out others can't see it and that she keeps going place to place. And there might have been a visit before that. She's in the bathroom and that red ball hits the window and then it does this long... No, that's the neighbors. Shot, those, uh, yeah. Those are the kids. But we, those neighbors, it makes a point later that like those ma- neighborhood boys are missing now. I don't know. I, I'm just saying there might be something there. And was there somebody standing outside her window like on a ledge? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was. It looked like one of the boys, but who knows? They were. It was one of the boys. She has peeping Tom neighbors that like to see her in her bra and panties. And so she, that's a fake out scare you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. But there's no fake out with this old woman that shows up at her school. Yeah, the school attack is clearly the first time we know conclusively how it works. You know, like after the warehouse, we're going to see, yeah, it's just going to walk into your school, come for you. People in the hall do not see it. You can outrun her. 
You can really outrun her. I mean, no problem. <laughs> Again, manageable. It's not a scare that you can't get away. It's the idea that it will never stop. And I was trying to think why it picked the form it did, because it picked some weird forms, like an eight foot tall guy, an yeah. old woman, <laughs> a guy wearing like a banana hammock. And I'm like, are these all its past victims? Like, these contracted it and he, he got them. But then later on, it takes the form of her still alive friend and the across the street neighbor's mother. So it, it, the form it takes is just very random so that you never know who it is. I think it's open to multiple interpretations. I know some people claim that this is her grandmother. I don't know how they would know that, but they're like, this is her grandmother. And they work that into their theory about what it represents to them. But to me, I think that I, I won't conclusively decide who these people are, if they're past victims or people from Jay's life or just people that are scary. I honestly think that the reason why the director picks them is because he saw The Shining. And yeah, when that old lady was in the tub, it was freaky. There's something about this old lady. Like, I didn't even know if it was an old man or an old lady. It looks like she's got like pants like pulled up underneath her dress. I feel like there's little details just to freak you out. Like you don't know why they're there. Just a little bit off with some of these characters. But then it goes Nightmare on Elm Street. They got to stay up all night. They're they're going to protect her, lock her in a room, and all her friends are, are going to hang out. And I like that she has friends. This is a very unique thing in a horror movie. Typically, like, the friends are there to die, right? They're just the body count until we can whittle down and get to the last girl. But that's not... They're not in any danger. They cannot be killed by it. They are not going to be really attacked. I mean, I guess they get a little wounded in the two confrontation scenes we have with it and them. But by and large, we're, we're seeing supportive friends that are there basically, you know, to make our main character feel better. I, I feel like this is a strange and comforting choice in a horror movie. I thought they were meat. I really did. I mean, you got the geeky guy looking at her. I'm like, okay, she's going to screw him and he'll do he it. He wishes. And yeah. then he's going to die and it's going to come back on her. And later on, they're trying to shoot it. I'm like, they're going to shoot one of their friends in the head and they're going down. I did think, I was trying to figure out how it would happen. How would they all sleep with each other until it got them all and leave her Jay as the last girl? But no, I was surprised that only one of them is going to die in this whole film. I think Paul, he, he's the boy, he's, he's again, friend from childhood. He wants to sleep with Jay. He feels like he's still young looking. I, I guess they're all like... 18, 19, 20 around there, but he still looks like he's 12. He, I feel like this is the guy that he's in the friend zone, he feels yes. like. Mm. Like he wants to sleep with her. And that's what is so kind of frightening about his character is he's willing to take this risk just to get laid. Like he, he's like, I'll deal with the ghost if I can sleep with you. And meanwhile, I'm thinking he's like a geekier Justin Long. Dude, don't sleep with her because you ain't getting nothing else and you're just trapped with yeah, it. Well, that's the thing. You want to you want to sleep with someone that can definitely attract another partner in this film. Yes. The thing of it is, is when you're that young, you don't think about that. You want to be loved. You want to be acknowledged. He's thinking that 
It's like when they tell you don't go with the bad girl because, you know, she'll ruin you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it'll be different for me. I mean, I don't think he's thinking that far ahead. I, he just wants to have closure for feelings he's had all of his childhood. I mean, he has loved her first kiss all the way back to the swimming pool. And uh, yeah, I think that... He's also a little kind of scary and creepy. I mean, I think that he's exploiting this situation. Again, he's standing over her while she sleeps. That's what I'm saying. He he will he's willing to be haunted by a ghost to sleep with her. Well, no, I mean, what's creepy is for her that all of a sudden she has to think about sleeping with someone she doesn't really want to to protect herself. I don't know. When that freaky ghost shows up that night though with her like jacked up teeth, her tits hanging out and pissing her Herself, I would jump into bed with Paul to escape that. I thought it was just dripping with water. Was it pissing itself? Oh, where's the water coming from? It's coming from between her legs. Well, no, be- there's always water in this film. There's the lake. There's the pool. There's her urine. <laughs> Water's a motif. So I thought it was just I thought that was going to tie in. Even Annie dies next to the lake at the beginning of the film. Yeah, again, I think I think of it as a childhood, a place of childhood pastime. But no, she pisses herself. I think <laughs> the idea is every time we see it, it is supposed to be an image that is provocative and frightening. Maybe that's not the best tactic. Maybe it would actually get somewhere if it looked like her mom coming at her and <laughs> didn't, you know, look so scary. That's no fun, though. I mean, the, the first real moment I got scared and jumped is that... This lady shows up in the kitchen. They all run into the room upstairs, and one of her friends is knocking on the door. You know, they do the fake-out thing where there's no reply, so you think it's a ghost. And then, no, it's one of their friends. They open the door, and then this, like, eight-foot-tall guy, like, pops out. I'm like, oh, crap. Like, I jumped at that moment. It is truly a terrifying moment. It is it is a real highlight of this movie, that moment, because you do not want them to open the door. But something I realized in retrospect, if the people can talk, it's not it. Yes. It does never speaks. Yes. And that, yeah, that's a pretty easy way to figure it out is like when somebody is talking, you know, you're safe. Mm-hmm. But that's not why they open the door. They open the door because the friends don't understand what Jay understands. And I thought this entire movie would be her friends thinking she's crazy. And, you know, they appease her because she's trying to find Jeff or Hugh. And they're willing to go with her and drive around looking for his place and looking for him. But they don't really believe her. And I thought that every single time she was running away from it, that they'd be just thinking, oh, God, here's another episode. I love that it has a form. They can't see it, but they can touch it. It has a physical presence. It's just like an invisible person. It's not like a ghost that can walk through walls. And they shoot it. They hit it with a chair. They throw a sheet over it, which I absolutely (laughs) love. To go back to the oldest of ghost symbols is a sheet over a person. I like that that's a change from any ghost movie I can remember seeing. Right. It can't walk through walls. It has material reality isn't quite right but yeah it it can't break the, every law of physics it needs to open a door it needs to yeah interact it, it, yes i i agree that is satisfying it would be too irritating if it were a phantom that could walk through walls and i do like the fact that the friends i think they do mostly believe her they believe she's in trouble and they don't think she's crazy so wherever you meet in the middle there they're there for her they're not trying to 
turn her into the psychiatric ward. They're trying to fight back against whatever it is or prove to her that nothing is chasing her. The one that truly doesn't believe her is the neighbor across the street. And he's the guy that she I might have lost her virginity to. She slept with him in high school, it's mentioned. And he, in one of the early scenes, is talking with his mom when she's been dumped off into the middle of the street. And, you know, there she is again. It's implied that they have a low opinion of the height household, that they think of those people as dramatic and and weird and maybe psychologically imbalanced, all of them. It's weird because Greg, again, when I was trying to figure out is this 80s, 90s, whatever, he has this punk grunge look. So it's weird that they're judging this neighborhood family when he already looks like an outcast. But he also looks kind of like the cool kid. Yeah. He's conventionally attractive. He's certainly more on the in track than Paul. He's got a car. He can take him to a lake house. Yeah, like we talked about, you could create distance. So, yeah, a car is a good thing to have. That's mm-hmm. faster than walking. Yeah, and they take the gun. He has a gun. and his I did. You know, Artie, you talked about how that was unique. I thought it was weird that their assumption is there's this ghost and let's try to shoot it. Like, I would never think that if there was a ghost chasing me. I wouldn't either. That's why I said it's unique. I've never heard of shooting a ghost. I don't know if it makes sense, though. It is unique. I don't know if it makes sense. I don't know why they draw that conclusion. I think that they have the gun there to make her feel better. I don't know that they're all thinking at some point. Well, you keep using the word ghost. And the funny thing is, all times I've watched this movie, I never thought of that word. That's not how I would describe it. That there's a phantom or specter or creature chasing her. But whatever you want to label it, they're not thinking that they actually have to shoot anything. They're thinking that if she gets better with self-defense, she'll calm down. Everything will be okay. I love and then I dislike the scene where they're finally convinced that they're all there by the lake and we see most of them and we see Yara coming up behind and she's walking just like we've seen it walk in the past, that same pace, that same slowness. Where's Yara? Where's Yara? And then when we cut to the lake and there she is in that pink little floaty thing. Oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, that oh. is a good scare. Oh, I knew immediately just because of the walk and the outfit. I'm like, it could be her. I mean, they pulled that where people were walking in the past and they were just walking. I mean, I thought it could be Yara, but we once we get that confirmation, it's like, oh, shit. But can I say, I just don't like the CGI in this movie. Yeah, there's something that confused me. I thought that Jeff said when he threw Jay out the car, don't let it touch you. Yeah. And here she's going to get touched. You see her hair. It it looks really goofy how her hair gets pulled up in the air. And then Paul is going to get thrown in a really awkward manner. Like it could interact with other people. I guess it might or might not kill other people, but... Paul definitely has some kind of marking after this interaction. It is electrical, right? I mean, that is the one thing that seems consistent is that it seems to spark and it does leave maybe electrical burns when it touches people. And did it spark? I didn't catch sparks. Oh, when when the mother fucks Greg, it's a spark in good time. Yes, yes. But on the beach, I didn't see sparks. I thought he left bruises and marks. I thought her hair was kind of staticky clean, though. I mean, I felt like... Oh, I just thought he grabbed her hair and pulled it up. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was just pulling the hair up. Yeah, which is, again, why we know nothing about it when the movie starts or when the movie ends. Does it like to play with its kills? It likes to fuck him, apparently. We'll find out. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't play with Greg later on, but here with Jay, it's going to, like... 
play with her hair and drag her around. And I'm like, it's right behind her. I wish it didn't play out this way. I think it looks a little goofy when the kid gets knocked backwards and the chairs are flying around. I'm thinking of, you know, Disney haunted house movies from the 70s. It just, it doesn't look scary. Yeah, but when they go into that little shed or whatever, and that door is being pounded and it's blown open and you see the tall guy walk by the window and then where there no one comes in and then this like i don't know a kid or something that looks like his eyes have sunken in like Mm -hmm. walks through this this is scary stuff to me again i'm like jumping and having fun here yeah this part i again like i said i both love and and dislike this moment the dislike is the fact that they resorted to the cgi i guess they had to but that took me out but don't get me wrong, this is a solid scene, and it, it is scary, and I completely understand why she'd jump in the car and leave them all behind. Well, I thought I knew where this scene was going, because she goes for the gun. Because it's the form of her friend Yara, I thought maybe she would shoot the real Yara, thinking it's it. I See, I thought the bullets were going to go through it and yes! actually hit her friends. That yeah. was my second thing, is when Yara made it into the building, I'm like, oh, the bullets are going to go through it, and we have... Greg outside, and he's hiding behind a fucking lawn chair. That's not going to block a bullet. So I thought it might kill him because she's a bad shot and she's recklessly shooting. But it doesn't go anywhere. It's just a tense scene. And yeah, it ends with that car crash that I mentioned the way I love it's filmed earlier. Yeah. Again, if you're knocked unconscious, she got down the road, but did she get further enough down the road? I mean, <laughs> it could get her. I mean, yeah, it, it seems like a bad place to end up is the hospital where you cannot get away, where you're stuck in a bed, but that's where Jay is now. It's a classic one in slasher films. I mean, I, I feel like it always works is that you're immobile in a bed and you know that every sound coming towards you could be the killer and. Yeah, it, it, it's it's good suspense. You understand why she makes the choice she has. Up to this point, she wanted to have sex with who she wanted to, and now she must have sex to save herself. And I love, again, that 360-degree panning camera, because I'm like, she's stuck in the hospital. It's going to come for her. It's, it's moving around. You know, a, a term for sex is the beast with two backs, and it almost looks like that, because I don't know what I'm seeing at first, as Greg is shirtless on top of her, like, I don't know if she's getting eaten, I don't know what's going on, but then I'm like, okay, now she's decided to pass this on. And I did wonder in the hospital, I'm like, she is so immobile, I wondered if this movie would pull like a psycho and Jay would die an hour in, and now all of a sudden we're focusing on Jeff again, I mean, I like this movie for making me think anything was possible, even if it is going to be a bit more conventional and Jay is our final girl. Yeah, it is. It does end up going that way. But uh, I, I like that we we have Greg because Greg is not a believer. Greg is basically exploiting a situation thinking, yeah, she'll feel better if I have sex with her. And I definitely will have yeah. feel better if I have sex with her. And I know I'm not going to live in fear of someone walking up to me and killing me. I don't believe what you do. You get the sense he's older and he thinks that this is kid stuff. He thinks that these kids are immature. And again, crazy. This family has been labeled as a neighborhood problem in some way by that mother in an early scene. And I'm wondering, like, if it couldn't be passed, because she's still nervous as hell. He's claiming not to see anything. Now, I did look this up online, because I'm wondering these things. Did they have safe sex? And so he didn't catch it. (laughs) 
the mm-hmm. director said that no condom stops it. You know, okay. if you have the sex, it doesn't matter what kind of contraceptive method you use, dental dams, condoms, it's still going to transmit it. Well, since you asked these questions, what about oral sex? Is that real sex? <laughs> that depends on what your meaning of is is. Is Monica and Clinton getting haunted? Who knows? <laughs> he did say same gender sex will pass it. So, okay. So yes. That was my next question. I'm like, yeah, what if you, what if gay sex? What about animal sex? <laughs> I mean, I'm just asking. I'm not advocating. See, but, you you're know, getting into the kind of questions Arnie and I had earlier about orgies and whatnot. It is the kinds of things that they don't want to answer. They shouldn't answer in this movie, but I'm afraid if there are sequels, <laughs> yeah, someone they... is going to have to test these theories. There's going to have to be a Mr. Wizard component in which we have experiments and, and see what constitutes as it passing sex. Oh, yeah. I mean, seriously, wouldn't you want it just to find out how it works? <laughs> <laughs> Stuart, you've talked about how the, there's symbols of, of losing your youth here. I Again, when I read about this, is about, oh, a ghostly STD, you know, to dwindle it down to something very easy to understand, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like that is the smallest, the least interpretation of this film. That yeah. That's not even really what this is about. I don't feel this is about STDs haunting you. Be, may, one, because of the rules. It's just, it's going to do it one at a time. But I, I feel like that's the easy analogy to make, but it's not really there. I think it is there. I, I definitely think it's there because I think it's too simplistic. Yes, it is a simple. It's simplistic, but I don't think it's not there that these are teenagers having sex at a young age and then having a consequence of it. I definitely saw this as a spectral STD. Yeah, that is clearly the most blatant plot. And it, it, we're all saying the same thing. It is an STD, without a doubt. It is an STD. The question is, did the filmmaker want us to leave with the impression that if you're promiscuous? you're going to die. I don't feel that that is what's being told with by this movie. I actually think promiscuity would help get rid of it. Right, exactly. Good point. Well, that's, that's what I thought the weird spin would have been, but they don't go there. Except for this one boat scene that we get. Maybe it went there, but I thought, you know, be real promiscuous and sleep around, and, and then it, it's too busy killing other people to ever find you. Telling you, orgy. <laughs> yeah, Greg screwed up because he didn't screw anyone else. And he probably could have. I mean, I kind of got the impression he was popular, but... Oh, he could have had the sister, that's for sure. (laughs) I I feel like Jay wouldn't let that happen, though, because she does believe in the ghost. Or it. Yeah, but Greg doesn't, and because of that, we get this really trippy scene where we finally understand what it does when it gets you. I mean, that was my question. I don't know that it does the same thing every time, because that early girl on the beach she's got broken limbs and everything. Here, he just looks literally fucked to death. No, they're all fucked to death. I think that's what happens. You get it by fucking, and when it gets you, it fucks you. And I think, yeah, Alice on the beach, that it was one wild night. <laughs> Do we see the end result with Greg? We see that shot where his mom's on top of him. We see the ghostly gray corpse laying there. You know, not ghostly, but just very dead, like hypothermia dead. Like, I've seen dead people, and they don't look like this dead. Maybe he didn't have broken limbs because they did it cowboy style. Maybe Annie did it doggy style, and that's why her <laughs> legs were all twisted like that. Oh, God, I feel so dirty for thinking the same thing. Like, maybe that was from behind. But that's where your mind goes <laughs> when you think about this film. I, I, I think that's uninflatable. It's not what you think about when you're watching the film because it's tense and it's scary. But, but yes, in retrospect, in trying to apply the rules 
more fully to what we're watching here. Yes, if the creature catches up and fucks you to death, then why was that girl in the, that position? I, I thought that was like um, some post-sex fun. I I, <laughs> I I think that it probably did look like cuddles. That. It doesn't just fucking leaves. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, it probably had a long walk ahead of it. So why not hang out and 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 have your fun? What's happened in this moment is Jay is just a few feet away. I mean, it can almost be like a three-way. I mean, it <laughs> can get Greg and then get her back to back. And again, kind of jumping ahead, but because we see how Greg dies, the form that it takes. His mother. Is it always incestuous? Because it's going to take the form of Jay's father later. Yeah, I mean, it is a good question. I can't always be incestuous because it would have gotten her as the grandma, and boy, wouldn't have that been a porno for the for our sore eyes? Oh, maybe maybe it changes right at that moment. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I mean the ch- the child sex. I mean the giant sex. There's so <laughs> many pornos uh, that could transpire here. But yes, I do feel like this director likes to play the incest theme. He does it twice here. Greg dies through his mother and the climax will be Jay confronting her dead father. I'm glad you guys caught that because not everyone does. It's easy to miss. She has a snapshot of her dad up on the mirror. And and I think that's the only time that we see him. Yeah. I was never sure if he was dead. They were divorced. What was going on, but we never see him, but we never see the mom much either. Yeah. I, for whatever reason, and I can't remember why, but I concluded he was dead, but maybe you're right. Maybe he's off in the world and uh, this is, yeah. All I know is that she'll tell the sister, I'm not going to tell you what it looks yeah. like. So there's some negativity there between the father and the children. And all right. I thought when that climax happened, she was lying because we don't see it. And usually when Jay sees it, we see it. And in between the death of Greg and this climax, Jay runs back to the beach and sees three guys on a boat. Yeah. yeah, and she jumps in the water, which immediately makes me think, um, you have a fresh cast on that arm. That's gonna get some fucked up cast thing. Yeah, she goes swimming with it later. She not yeah. very smart. She didn't follow the doctor's orders. No, but they cut away from the scene, and it's like, did she? Didn't she? I mean, if I was out on a boat with two of my buddies. And a 20-year-old swam up, sexy or not, is, like, ready to go. Yeah, she strips down to her underwear. I mean, on the one hand, mermaid fantasy, but on the other hand, weird. (laughs) Hot or not, it's fucked up. I may or may not have been privy to a moment like this in my life, and (laughs) I could imagine it going just the way you described, Arnie, and I think that it is intentionally vague. The director does not want to say whether Jay fully commits or not. But the point is, is she's become so desperate now that Greg is gone. If if her option is Paul and she likes Paul and she doesn't want to sleep with Paul, is it better to just go do it with a stranger? It, in in some ways, she's killing them, right? Is this any different than if she got a gun and shot them? Well, she's giving them a chance at life. There's always a chance. Yeah, as long as you tell them. I would rather have it than AIDS. Well, she didn't tell him. I, well, we don't know what happened. Ah, you're right. We don't know what happened. She could have chickened out. She could have literally just wanted to take a purifying splash <laughs> in the water. But my belief is she swam out there, had sex with one or more of them. That's a tiny boat. You don't just do one and the other two watch. That's even weirder. But the point is, is that she left them to figure it out. And, you know, a couple of days later, there was a naked man on a roof. <laughs> 
but she doesn't act like it's gone either. She's blocking her door. Maybe she's just afraid the boaters, if she slept with them, are going to die. Yeah, of course they're going to die. If you don't tell them, they have no shot. Someone's going to walk up to them and, and that'll be it. I like that it cut away because it left me wondering. So when we reach the climax and she's sitting in that pool with all the televisions around her and everything, and she's pointing and saying, there it is, and I don't want to tell you what it looks like, I thought she was lying. I thought she was going through an act because she gave it to the boat dude who may have gone home and given it to his wife, who then gave it to her trainer, who then, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but then those electronic appliances start flying around. Mm Mm-hmm. And that seemed like, again, it just seems so weird that they think they could kill it like the way you would kill a person and was jay gonna swim out of the pool really quick as soon as it got in there (laughs) it was very poorly thought out we can all agree that throwing typewriters and things into a pool there's not going to be enough current thank god but second of all like yeah how was jay really going to get away i guess you know you just wait for it to get close enough if it goes if it swims as slowly as it walks she'll be okay I don't know that it could even swim, but it was a shallow pool. It could walk in the water. Let me tell you, though, because they went old school, these weren't LCD TVs. These are CRT TVs. Unplugged or plugged in, your cathode ray tube in there carries a hell of a shock, enough to kill you. Now, I'm not a physicist enough to know the number of volts or watts needed based upon the the volume of water to kill a person, but that ain't safe. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but it throws it at her. I mean, it should say, once we get to this climax, and it knows, it can see through this little plot here. I mean, sometimes it's kicking it in there, but most of the time it's just picking it up, unplugging it, and throwing it at her head. It's strong. Those CRTs are heavy. <laughs> I mean, it's throwing them like baseballs. And she get she does get hit in the head. She She's very successfully blocking most of them, but she does get hit in the head by one and start to bleed and... I'm still wondering what's going to happen because... Yeah, Paul pulls out the gun and, like, shoots, and, of course, it goes through it, and I think it hits Yara or... Poor Yara. ...in the ankle. Yeah. I thought he just missed because earlier, when they shot it in the neck at the beach, it bleeds. No, that's true. Maybe, yeah. And later, right here, they shoot it in the head, and it stops. I think that shooting it... It may not kill it. We don't know if it could kill it because they only get the headshot here at the end and it is the end. But it at least slows it down quite a bit if you fuck it up with bullets. So maybe electricity would work. I mean, it is a corporeal thing. If bullets slow it down, maybe electricity could kill it. Again, I feel like it is running off some form of electricity. I feel like there is an electrical energy to it. And so, I don't know. You got to test your theories. I, they can cross it off the list, though. This, this is not going to work. It doesn't work. And I'm not sure that it is stopped. I mean, what we end on is a very strange image of her escaping from being pulled under the water with a burn mark on her ankle and the pool filling with blood. And I thought only she could see the blood. I thought the ankle thing was another bruise from just being strong. And I really thought that Paul was going to shoot her because the angle of those bullets were all wrong. And he's shooting in a pool so close to her. Again, bad CGI here. I I don't buy that they're even in the pool when they're filming that. It it looks really weird. Yeah, it's almost like JFK's magic bullet to miss her and hit it in the head. Lucky shot. But, I mean, you know what? The ending's a little silly, but I still feel like it's not a mood wrecker. I mean, I still feel like 
Well, I guess because they decide to be ambiguous, because they don't have a clear, it's dead, yay. I mean, she's not even confident with all that blood. She goes home and screws him. And he goes out and finds prostitutes. Yes. Yeah, that, that is a creepy image. Like, it never shows him picking them up, but that's where my mind went. Oh, yeah, if you're going to try to just outrun this thing and, and keep it off your back for a while, yeah, go get a hooker, let, let the hooker die, and, and then go get another one. I, mean, I thought that exact same thing. The quickest way to get rid of it, a trip to the Moonlight Bunny Ranch near Reno. Maybe that's what ha- happened to Lamar Odom. But again, what do, what does that do to your life? I mean, it's manageable. You could do that for the rest of your life. Who would you become if that is what you started to do? What would happen to your soul if all you ever do is look over your shoulder and think, oh, you know what? I better go fuck someone right now. And it, I think it's significant that that happens to Paul. I, if this feels like a pity fuck that he gets from Jay mm, and that he's the one. Yeah, he he hasn't bloomed yet. He can't get the junior college girls. It, like, this is what he would have to do. This is what his life would become just because of how he's physically built. Yeah. Well, let me just say, I like that this ending is ambiguous. She's sleeping with him. Why is she sleeping with him? Is it gratitude because he shot it in the head and it stopped? Is it real affection? This whole thing showed her that he's really one she should be with or is it to pass it and then when he goes and sees the hookers i'm like okay yeah you weren't that pretty of a guy you weren't going to be able to just get some for free but a prostitute's a great way to separate it from you because realistically in a week or two between johns and whores it's gonna get pretty far down at family tree there but we don't see him pick them up any more than we see her go to the boat And because it was still chasing her, my personal belief is she didn't go to the boat. And because she didn't go to the boat, that's telling us he didn't stop for those ugly ass hookers because he does keep driving. Yeah. And that's why in the very last shot, they're together. They're holding hands. I guess they're boyfriend, girlfriend. But right in between them in the background, something is shambling along after them both. Yeah, I love that. Ambiguity is the way to go here. It's the way they've crafted this piece. It would feel false that they had killed this creature. We would be left with feeling like, oh, well, then this wasn't a metaphor for anything. It's it's easy to make these bad feelings go away. Instead, we're just as uneasy as we were at the beginning of this movie. So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend It Follows? Jacob. You know, as a non-really slasher guy, I like horror films. I don't like slashers as much. As a a non-slasher guy, coming in and just watching this on a a real shallow level of like an updating, a a deconstruction of the slasher genre and why do they go after the slutty girls and um, I I enjoyed it just on that level, but the fact that this is so artistic, the the way that it's shot and the way things linger and and the ambiguity and, and Ideas go a lot deeper here. I, I didn't think about the nostalgia one that Stuart brought up, but, you know, as he's been talking about that, yeah, that starts making sense. And the, there's little things. This is a film you're going to have to watch more than once to to really get what's going on. And I, I could see people not enjoying this because it is a slow film. There are definite scares. There are times when I'm jumping. There are long stretches of time between those scares. This isn't, uh, you know turn this on at midnight, get some popcorn, have some fun, you know, watching a scary movie. It's just not that kind of film. It's a more artistic endeavor. And I love that it takes this kind of silly idea of the slasher going after the slut and really mines that idea for for 
all it's worth. And again, very artistically shot. The, 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 I, I can't stress that enough. That's, I think, what sets this apart from other films that try to deconstruct the, the genres they take place in. Uh, sometimes they come off more as parodies and, and silly comedies. This is, this is a very serious deconstruction and a very artistic take on the slasher genre. I'll, I'll, I'll just put it that way. But I can see why people might not like it. It is a slower film, but I would still recommend this. It's still a very solid recommend for me. I enjoyed it a lot. Stuart. Yeah, it was a solid recommend when I first saw it. It's a high recommend now. I am so much more impressed with it coming back five months later than when I first saw it in theaters. I mean, on every level, I feel like I'm watching a director who's really in control of their vision. And that even if I'm left with moments where I feel strange or not sure how to interpret, I feel like there's... There's stuff to mind there. You want to go back to a movie that you feel like uh, has something to offer. And I feel like all the details were selected for a reason, that I will like this movie even more the third, fourth, fifth time that I watch it. But the movie, ironically, that I really think about in thinking about this movie is not a slasher movie. It almost feels to me like a sequel to Boyhood. Honest to God. And I know some people <laughs> thought that movie was slow. Oh, that, and that means Arnie's not going to like it. Slow and pointless. And I like certain moments, but what was it all about? But I do feel like they both come from the same place. They're both about looking at where you come from and, and that sadness of feeling like, what happens once you reach adulthood? I think that it's two different ways of feeling the same way. Boyhood was a drama. This movie is a horror. But both are very powerful reflections on the passing of youth. And I just think from that standpoint, from a technical standpoint, this is just a hell of a film and a high recommend. And I stand a lot with Jacob on this one. I watched this not knowing what to expect. I was very glad there was no Twitter killer. <laughs> It's all about LinkedIn anyway now for horror films. <laughs> it is for me. Fuck yeah. <laughs> the opening kill let me know I was dealing with something far more serious. And Jacob, you said people may think it's slow. I'm a person who really wants some decent pacing in my horror films. But there's that fine line between slow and atmospheric suspense. And I think at all times, this film keeps up that suspense. There's never the slowness of just seeing the teens sit around and talk about sleepovers and algebra class. I mean, there's a few moments to add some realism to it, but it's pretty quick into the movie. We only have about 12 minutes from our first death till when Jay is introduced to it. And after that point, at any moment, it can show up. And that kept me in great suspense. So as a horror movie, I thought it worked. And then when I saw the way it was shot, the camera work going on, the way it used darkness. Now, a couple of times I think it's fucking gimmicky. Like, near the pool at the end, when they're like, what's in the pool? And the camera's moving slowly over the tiles around the pool to get there. It's an obvious trick what they're doing. They're not going to let you see. They're not going to let you see. Here it is. All right. Fine. Whatever. But the play when he'd mount the camera in unusual places and all of that, I really thought this was a beautiful-looking film that worked on that level. That said, we've talked a lot about sex in this podcast. Don't see it if you're looking for the TNA. This is the least sexy film about sex ever. 
Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. I, there's some Cronenberg films, but <laughs> but yes, I agree. It, don't watch it because you think it's going to be about kids fucking. That's for no, sure. No, no. It's about as sexy as that scene in the movie Kids when they fucked, which is not. But I did really enjoy this film as a reinterpretation of the horror genre. And as for Stewart's comparison with this to Boyhood, a film that I really didn't like, you can find that review in the archives. I saw the themes there. I saw them about maturity and budding sexuality and maturation. I think most horror films are about maturation. And yeah, there were some scenes that I took note of when they're walking around and talking about how their parents wouldn't let them go past eight mile. I mean, it calls attention to itself. Yeah, the fear of death, the end lines of the movie just make that overly abundant. But while worthy of discussion, it's subtext. This still just works as a horror movie. I didn't like Boyhood, which did deal with the same themes. I don't care about themes. I care about execution and entertainment. And this movie didn't let the themes get in the way of being a good horror movie. This is a good, scary film, first and foremost, above all. But yeah, I'm going to give this a solid recommend. It's definitely one I'm going to be re-watching in the future and... Maybe I'll see Stuart's themes. I hope I don't see too much boyhood in it. But it is a movie worth seeing definitely once and probably more than once. I do think the movie deserves two different viewings and and multiple interpretations. This is all that I saw. I can write the paper. I can cite the things that I see. But I've been on the internet. I've seen other theories where they talk about how she was pregnant and it's a fear of uh, having a baby and the blood in the pool. I mean, I, I've, I think that this movie invites that kind of discussion. I like that kind of discussion. So don't be afraid. <laughs> if you didn't like the movie I portrayed, go see an interesting movie. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought the blood in the pool was like period blood. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad that's not just me. No, I I think that, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a movie with strong feminist themes and sexuality, a pool full of blood. Sure. Now, I did a little internet reading and found out the director has an idea for a sequel. Now, I don't know that the sequel is fully going, but his thought was to reverse it and flip the script. Now, Jay is following it, like following it back through the people to the origins. So how would it bypass her? Well, assuming that it got passed on to hookers and things, or maybe it's still after her. Oh, I see. Uh, she's researching the six degrees of Kevin Bacon fucking that happened. Yes, yes. To try to find the origin of it. That'd be great if it ended up with Kevin Bacon. jeez. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it all goes back to Kevin Bacon. I mean, he needs work. All his money was stolen by, what was that, Bernie Madoff? Oh, really? Yeah, Kevin Bacon's like fucking broke. His entire retirement was lost. Oh, that's not cool. No, so that's why he's working a lot more now, is he needs to. So maybe he'll do It Follows Back. <laughs> I would be interested in that film by the same token. Oh, uh, sequel scares me so much. I like the ambiguity of this film, yes. and we always reference, like, season two of Twin Peaks. The more you explain, the less I like it. So if they got back, and you know what this movie kept reminding me of is Drag Me to Hell? Well, a great movie, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw a girl who had a curse placed upon her, be it through sex or gypsies, and has to then question her own moral decisions to save her own life. It's part of the reason I really thought Jay would die at the end, is because I kept thinking about what Raimi did. We don't know if she doesn't die, but yeah, I mean, we don't see it. 
Yes. And I would be disappointed, though, if it goes back and it's an old Romanian voodoo woman who put a priest on somebody like in that movie. I'd be like, you put a button on it. Yeah, That is the button of why I don't want a sequel. If Yeah, if it goes long enough, that's where it will go. Yes. Eventually, someone is going to have to explain the gypsy curse, the space alien that crashed, the portal to hell that opened. They're going to have to go to some cliche to explain where it came from. Just don't be screwing on an Indian burial ground, please. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Someone get, yeah, yeah. Someone screwed an Indian corpse and it's been this way ever since. And so that is why I'm afraid of a sequel. Even if he has a good idea to keep ambiguity for a sequel, someday someone will feel the need to explain something that should never be told. And that's why, you know, let's just look at the series we finished, Blair Witch. I mean, leave it at Blair Witch. Don't make Book of Shadows. It wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was. It wasn't that good. <laughs> I mean, this is called It Follows. Could it be a tie into the Adams family? They got <laughs> Cousin It Follows. Now, there's a YouTube parody waiting to happen. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. But uh, before we ever get back to this It, well, there's another Spectre we've got to review next week. And uh, someone from our past that will be coming back to talk to us. Yes, Brock will be joining us again as we go back to James Bond for Spectre. If you want to prep, we have reviewed every James Bond film as we were leading up. Prep? What is that? 25, 26 films? 26 podcasts as we were leading up back then to Skyfall. No, Skyfall was 25, right? I thought Skyfall was 26 because there's, we included there's 24, the- There's 25 classic James Bond movies in Casino Royale. Oh, then there's Never Say Never yeah, Again. Yeah, Never Say Never Again. Yeah. Oh, you're right. And spoiler alert, I said Skyfall was my favorite of all of them, which, I mean, how many times can you say that 26 movies into a franchise? <laughs> <laughs> Just once. More importantly, have you remembered all the theme songs so you could continually rank them with this new one? Oh, I've heard the new one, and it's stanky. I may <laughs> like the movie. I certainly hope so, but I'm not going to be kind to Sam Smith next week. No, he's not uh, a doubt. Sam Smith. But, yes, can this film possibly live up? Because Skyfall was a huge success. We weren't the only ones who sung its praises from on high. So can this one live up? Well, it's got Christoph Waltz in it, and so I think so, because I really love him, because he's, you know, I've seen him in those Tarantino films, and he's really great in them. But yes, that is next week. And speaking of Christoph Waltz, don't forget our donation series, where we're doing all the Tarantino films. We haven't gotten to Christoph yet. We'll be getting there in December, because right now, for silver donation, we're going hungry. That's right. Books and Nachos will be out this week. I have reviewed the book that has sold 12 million copies that you may not have read and may be afraid to read. The tween, the tween, uh, Twilight with a bow and arrow, or are you going to convince us it's something more than that? I definitely feel that you don't need to be afraid of it. And so I hope you join me to find out what all the hubbub has been about. And I'm not sure if the movie's going to really be able to address that so much as Books and Nachos. Start with me at Books and Nachos. And then, yes, on Friday, we will continue on with the first movie with Jennifer Lawrence, The Hunger Games. And you can get six podcasts, all four Hunger Games reviews leading up to Mockingjay Part 2, and also Battle Royale, the film that 
may have inspired, we get into it, the Hunger Games franchise where a lot of young Japanese children kill each other with fun weapons like fans. and At least in that first one, but yeah. become a silver donor and you can find out what we think about that and the second one. And then after Spectre, we return to the galaxy far, far away. I know some people have been chomping at the bit for this as we go to the prequels with The Phantom Menace. So thank you both for joining me. You bet. And listeners, be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you for listening. And now I'm going to stay up all night and keep an eye out for anything weird. Even though it's following you, I can still see it. It's not done with me either, okay? Like I told you, all you can do is pass it along to someone else. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. There's someone in there that made you want to leave? If you enjoyed this podcast, please help out our show by leaving us a five-star written review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Just pass it along. If it kills you, it'll come after me. Do you understand? Also at our site, you can find more movie reviews, including The Shining, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Insidious, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Saw, The Avengers Films, James Bond, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com and come back each week for another new movie review. I'm going to watch a movie if you feel like it support from listeners like you help keep now playing operating you can find a link to donate using paypal at the bottom of our website nowplayingpodcast.com now yeah i do now playing's it follows review is edited by arnie yeah he's probably saying his shit right now now playing credit narration by brock shut up let me finish. It follows as the property of Radius TWC and Dimension Films, and no infringement is intended. It's never about going anywhere, really. It's having some sort of freedom, I guess. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. I am Lazarus, come from the dead. Come back to tell you all. I shall tell you all. If one, settling a pillow by her head, should say, that is not what I meant at all. That is not it. At all. Now playing as a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. When there's torture, there's pain and wounds, physical agony, and all this distracts the mind from mental suffering so that one is tormented by the wounds until the moment of death. And the most terrible agony may not be in the wounds themselves, but in knowing for certain that within an hour, then within 10 minutes, and within half a minute, now, at this very instant, your soul will leave your body 
and you will no longer be a person. And that, this is certain, the worst thing is that it is certain. This is the now playing co-host who's slow, but not dumb, Arnie. Literally took the one line I had. <laughs> like, there's so little in this film. Um, and this is the host that will fuck just about anyone to get rid of something. Jacob. Is this, our, is this an R-rated film? I, or was it yeah, yeah, we can do it. Yeah, okay, okay. That's right. There's a lot of nudity in it. I just don't have any idea how to respond to that. I, I had to make something up on the fly. Because no, no, there it's are not no, bad. I actually no, make it no, work. No, it's funny. I just don't know how to respond to that. It's yeah. Because like, that's so... Yeah. Which is... I got, like, an ambulance, a helicopter, and maybe even, like, a torpedo. Someone just got followed. That's the problem. <laughs> They just found a body on the beach. <laughs> you now have an old lady with her breastuses hanging out, walking in your room very slowly. He's he's got a body of water next to his house, so that seems where, <laughs> where all the kills. Breastuses coming from. There's a lot of topless people in this movie. No, no, but you're calling them breastuses. <laughs> I have no idea. That's I was, some movie did that. Yeah, yeah, I felt like you were quoting something that I didn't know. I, I think it is something. It's from some like, movie. Yeah, yeah, from, from the eighties like or seventies. No, yeah, no. It seems like an Adam Sandler. Thing. Yeah. It no, does feel for some Adam reason, Sandler. I'm thinking of like one of Eddie Murphy's. I'm playing multiple characters in yeah, like, coming I was thinking, to America. Uh, oh, I was thinking Nutty Professor. Mm. <laughs> no, it was definitely from my early adolescence. Okay. All right. The targeted woman eventually consents to Craig's, and my brother is named Craig, and it's Greg, goddammit. <laughs> is your brother being followed by it? Uh, he might be. He was married to it for a while. <laughs> I really love him because he's, you know, I've seen him in those Tarantino films, and he's really great in them. Do you see him in The Muppets? I did. <laughs> He was okay in it. I mean, he wasn't, I mean, he was him. He wasn't terrible. He wasn't as impressive. I mean. He kept his own with Fonzie is what you're saying. Fozzie, not <laughs> Fonzie. Fonzie. He kept his own like, with Fonzie. Wait a minute. I'm very confused. Tarantino and Muppets. And yeah, he was a Muppets most Winkler. wanted. Be cool, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's Miss Piggy's show anyway, but he was a good supporting <laughs> player. I need a fucking quote. <laughs> there are no quotes. Yeah, like, didn't you say you Cro were Cross the eight mile and, and visit us next week. Yeah. What are you going to say? Hold on. I'm, I'm, I'll find something. It won't be great. Yeah. You can just do weird sound effects. I have to make fucking credits for this bitch. No, the soundtrack was awesome. No, yeah. but credits. Lines. Oh, yeah. Well. Dialogue. I mean, they said shit. Yeah, but not like... It's but, coded and, like I said, it's all this drippy nostalgia stuff. Yeah, it's not soundbite words. Yeah, yeah, there's not really, yeah. And honestly, I got so into the movie, I stopped taking notes, and I usually write down some lines during my notes. And so I I had no notes for tonight. You had no notes? I had no notes. Wow. I, I, ten minutes in, I was so into the film, I forgot to take notes. <laughs> and when it ended, I was just so having fun watching the movie. When it ended, I was like, oh shit, I didn't take notes. Glad that I only, uh... Watched it the night before we were recording. Yeah, I have actually the subtitles. 
Oh, I, I oh, downloaded okay. them just now as a text file. Oh, okay. Because I, I do say, this sometimes. I, it gives me time markers and uh, IMDb has like three quotes from the film. Yeah, I tried when I was looking first. for a second backup one. <laughs> <laughs> I like the one you came up with. <laughs> I do too. You may regret it, but I enjoyed. <laughs> I don't think I'll regret it. I no, I it, it. it was it was flabbergasting because he's I a married just, man. <laughs> I I had to go off the cuff. Yeah. She'll understand. We must be passing on, or I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't have many quotes written down. You can read some T.S. Eliot. Yeah, there you go. Proof rock. Or uh, what was that last line? I mean, it was Dostoevsky, but it was great. Where she was talking. She was talking. It was, uh, something about. I could do this, yeah. Did Does she read this? The most Out terrible loud. part is to know your soul will leave in an hour, ten minutes now. Mm-hmm. You will no yeah, longer yeah, be yeah. a person. And that is the worst thing is that and then the worst thing is that it is certain, yeah. Yeah. Um because I think that would actually be good for the credits. Yeah. That's the other thing I gotta balance is I, I'm Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, that is that is one to quote. Anytime yeah, she's reading off the reader, that's good. Cause, I was know. thinking I'd use that as like the very end of the end credits. Yeah, I like that. But that doesn't help you now. No, um. <laughs> I don't have quotes. I'll be honest with you. I'm looking. I wrote down a lot, but I did not write down words. I mean, I did not write down dialogue. Yeah. I don't want to tell you. I remember she said that to her sister. Yeah. Um. um a little freedom. Sleep with someone as soon as you can. <laughs> <laughs> Is there some line about, like, there it is or something that, like... Is I see it. I see it. He's standing out there looking for it, and she, it comes on the tra- train tracks. Um, Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you. Sometimes it looks like people you love just to hurt you. It's never about going anywhere, really. It's not, now that we're old enough, where the hell do we go? See, it's right there. He literally <laughs> spells out his theme. All right, I got one. Thank you for listening, and now I'm going to stay up all night and keep an eye out for anything weird. 